Hello and welcome to the Lancet podcast for the issue January the 6th to the 12th. I'm Richard Lane and Happy New Year to you all. This week's podcast focuses on the HERA trial, a phase 3 randomised trial about the use of Herceptin for women with breast cancer. Earlier I spoke to Ian Smith, Professor of Cancer Medicine at the Royal Marsden Hospital in London and I began by asking him to remind us why the use of Herceptin is still controversial. Herceptin is an entirely new treatment and it's very expensive. It's a, it's a monoclonal antibody. The results for those of us working in breast cancer have been very dramatic in terms of reduction in the risk of the disease coming back and indeed in terms of survival improvement. But the results are early. Um, breast cancer has a long natural history and I think some of the controversy has has centered on the issue of whether breast cancer specialists have been rather premature in their claims. And in terms of the HERA trial, which we're publishing this week, this is a phase three randomized trial, a multi-center international trial as well. How international is it in terms of where the women were recruited to the trial? The HERA trial is truly international and involves all continents of the world and indeed all the major countries apart from the USA, which ran its own trials. And what status did women have to have in order to be enrolled in the trial? Women in this trial had to have completed surgery for early breast cancer, and the crucial thing is that their tumor had to be positive for the marker HER2. And because there can be some variability in assays, that marker HER2 had to be centrally checked. And that's one of the key issues about this trial. So we know for certain that the women in it uh, were HER2 positive. They also had to have completed standard uh, adjuvant chemotherapy. The majority of them had involved auxiliary nodes, but not all. Uh, a significant number, around a third, did, did not. And that's an important distinction with the American trials, most of which mainly included only node-positive patients. And in terms of the methodology of the trial, could you just explain that? Because it's, it's important, isn't it, to note that women in the observation trial could yes. switch to yes. Herceptin? The original trial randomized women to chemotherapy alone, standard treatment, versus chemotherapy followed by a year of Herceptin, versus women followed by two years of acceptance. So it's addressing the question of duration as well as treatment. Now, we do not so far have data on whether the two-year arm is better than the one-year arm. So the trial data that we've reported involves the control group versus one-year acceptance. Now, what happened was when the initial results came out showing a highly significant benefit in terms of reduced rate of recurrence for the women who were on Herceptin, then for ethical reasons, the control women were allowed to go on to Herceptin belatedly. And round about 800, that's about half of the women in the controls, slightly more than half, have elected to do so. So this means that in the longer term, it's going to confound uh, the difference between the treatment and no treatment because a lot of the women have switched. It doesn't confound the issue at this stage because when we reported our data, the median duration of the women who'd done the switch was only about two months. 
And in terms of the key results, the average follow-up here is two years because women yes. were enrolled, weren't they, between 2001 and 2005? That's correct. Uh, and in terms of the intervention, you've got data here for women who used Herceptin for a year compared with those who didn't receive Herceptin. That's correct. With an average two-year follow-up. What are the key findings? The most important finding of the new publication is that there is a significant overall survival benefit. One of the controversies and one of the criticisms of the early data was that we had no, none of the trials, none of the standalone trials had shown that the early reduction in recurrence translates into survival benefit. But we have shown that it does, and that is after two years. Now, that is very unusual in breast cancer trials. Most adjuvant trials, a survival difference does not emerge until sometimes four or five years. The only other drug that has ever shown a two-year survival benefit was tamoxifen, which has been the most important drug in the treatment of breast cancer over the last 25 years. And can you just detail, so always important, the relative risks and the sure. absolute risks that we're talking about right. here? The absolute improvement in overall survival is relatively modest at this stage. It's 2.7%. The relative improvement, or at least the relative reduction in death, let's put it that way, is 33%, about a third reduction in death. So that as the trial continues, and as we would anticipate in HER2-positive patients, more and more women uh, will die who didn't get a septum, and that th assuming that 33% uh, relative reduction continues, then we would anticipate that the absolute benefit will expand to 10 or 15% in the longer term, which makes it very important. It is, of course, a hypothesis that the benefit will be maintained. We don't know that yet. But past experience tells us that for nearly all other types of adjuvant therapy in breast cancer, uh, short-term benefits have continued and translated into longer-term benefits. There are some cautionary messages as well, though, aren't there, to do with side effects yes. of Herceptin? The main problem with Herceptin is, uh, which was quite unexpected and didn't emerge from the original uh, experimental data, was an increased risk of congestive heart failure when the drug was given uh, in association with anthracyclines. So in the Herceptin trial, the Herceptin was given after anthracyclines. There was an increased incidence of congestive heart failure of around 1.9%. So it's a problem, but it's clearly not a major problem. It has to be carefully looked for. Virtually all of the patients who developed congestive heart failure, that disease, the, the, this was correctable by stopping the Herceptin and by instituting standard therapies. There have not been any deaths in the HERA trial, 4,500 women from congestive heart failure. <clears throat> Interestingly, there was a death in the control arm. So the message for Herceptin is that you do need to monitor carefully, and we use, we use MUGA scans, left ventricular ejection fraction studies during treatment to monitor very carefully, but providing you do that, uh, the risk of heart failure is very small. And I'm making this point because I think in comparison with the benefits in terms of reduction of recurrence, in terms of survival, then it's an important issue, but it's relatively small. And finally, Professor Smith, in terms of how we interpret the results, the conclusions from this study, how do you think this trial will shape policy, not just here in the UK, but elsewhere, and ultimately clinical practice? Well, 
the UK, I think, has acted with commendable speed, both the Department of Health and NICE, in uh, reviewing these data and in allowing, uh, allowing not just licensing but NICE approval in terms of cost-effectiveness. And it is a cost-effective treatment because it's targeted. We're talking only about 20% of patients who benefit from this drug, and therefore we're, we're not over-treating to any significant extent. I think the long-term problem is this, that Herceptin is one of a whole new generation of targeted therapies, and there's others in the pipeline, and they're all going to be expensive, and not just the UK, but all governments are going to have this dilemma of how do we, uh, how do we pay for these new drugs. On the other hand, the keyword is targeted, and in in contrast to the past, we're going to be able to identify the patients who really are going to benefit, and we're going to be able to identify those who won't benefit, which will obviously have a cost saving. And just a reminder as to who those patients are? With Herceptin, the patients who benefit are the 20% or so who overexpress uh, the, the oncogene marker. It's a growth factor receptor, HER2, which is on the surface of the cells, and it has to be strongly positive. And the other key point is this has to be centrally tested in a recognized laboratory. If you don't do the test properly, then it becomes inefficient. Professor Smith, thank you very much for talking to The Lancet. That's a pleasure. In a linked comment, Daniel Hines and colleagues from the University of Sheffield discussed the findings of the study and issues relating to cost-effectiveness and health policy. Other highlights from this week's issue? Our main editorial discusses direct-to-consumer advertising in the United States, as European commissioners are considering relaxing the ban on such advertising. A research article highlights how the incidence of cerebral palsy has decreased over the past 20 years for low-birth-weight babies. A drugs class article assesses the effect of drugs to counteract obesity, concluding that longer-term data are needed before we can draw any firm conclusions. And we launch the Child Development Series, which will be the focus of a future podcast. Many thanks for listening. See you next week.